have your Bible, please turn to Romans chapter 8. The beautiful and glorious Romans chapter 8. It's easy to forget when um, when we hear the text in pieces, you know, one week at a time, that Paul is building a case really for the fact that the ungodly, that is you and I, and all who receive God's word are justified by grace through faith apart from works. And that the gospel which proclaims this truth is God's power all the time, from start to finish, for our salvation. Beloved, the gospel has revealed to us that our lives do not exist in this vacuum where everything hinges on the choices we make and the people we become because of those choices, but rather on God's gracious disposition towards us in Christ. That He makes known to us and awakens us to receive by His Holy Spirit. We live, however, in these mortal bodies, still struggling with sin, still subject to futility and the bondage of corruption. But we are right now, even in this, God's own adopted and dear children on this hard road to glory. There is not, however, just a promise for us. There is also help for us. For the road, and it comes in the form once again of God's word, which cannot and will not return to him void, which means, beloved, the word of the gospel that God has sent out, his promise to save you, won't return to him without you. Let me pray, and we'll look at this passage. Father, you know me, you know everything about me. And so, Lord, I pray that you would be with me as I speak. Watch over the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart. May both be pleasing to you, Lord, my rock, my redeemer. And, Lord, would you enable each person that has come here this morning to hear and receive this same word. May we know by the time we leave that it is a word spoken for us. Please help me preach to that end and no other. I ask this in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. So we're going to pick it up this week in verse 26 of chapter 8. He says, likewise, the Spirit also helps in our weaknesses. The Spirit of adoption, remember, whose first fruits we have partaken, also helps us in our weaknesses. So He doesn't just, the Spirit now, secure our adoption seal us, right? He doesn't just write the promise that gives us hope on our hearts for the future. He helps us here and now so that we get there until we're all the way home. For, because, right, in the verse, we do not know what we should pray for as we ought. But the Spirit Himself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. So, prayer... Prayer is presented here as this means, or the means, it seems, in the verse of finding help in our weaknesses. But there's a problem. There's a problem here. None of us knows how to pray as we ought to pray. None of us knows how to pray like we're supposed to. Not one of us. We do not know what to pray for in light of the overwhelming extent of our weaknesses. In a world where we're in the bondage of corruption, futility, 
We still live in these mortal bodies. We're still struggling with sin. And we don't understand ourselves at all. In fact, we get that from Romans 7, which is a description of the Christian life in this world. In fact, in the last phrase of here, verse 26, we discover it's actually impossible for us to pray like we need to. Consider then how much mercy God is pouring out on you every single second of your life. Does God really care about us? Does God really know what we're going through? Yes, but not because we're able to tell Him about it. God doesn't get the scoop on us from us. We only know so much and understand so much. And we ask for God. We go to God out of that limited understanding of ourselves. God doesn't get the scoop on us from us. He gets the scoop on us from His Spirit who dwells within us. So God has not left us to fend for ourselves. The Spirit helps us in our weaknesses because we are unable to help ourselves. So the path of salvation is not God saying, all right, I've given you all you need. Good luck. All the best to you. And then the Spirit, I'll give you the Spirit to kind of help you on the way. There is no way. We aren't going to make it if the Spirit is not with us. We don't even know how to pray for help. So we don't grasp our condition well enough to know what questions to ask. We don't grasp our condition well enough to know what solutions we ought to attempt. We do not realize how fragile our own lives are in this world. Every moment, how precarious our situation is stuck between futility and sinfulness. We naturally believe about ourselves that we have the ability to do what a verse like verse 25 tells us to do, that we must persevere. And we don't believe that we just persevere with some hope. We really think we have it within ourselves to determine how much spiritual success we actually have. Yet God tells us in His Word as He pats our overconfident little heads and says, yeah, you don't even know how to talk to me. You don't even know what you need to be praying for. And us, what are are we doing? We love to stick our chest out and posture and preen like spiritual peacocks just stomping around the yard, showing everybody how pretty we are. And yet the truth of the matter about each one of us is that we don't even know how to pray. By the way, don't get frustrated then with yourself if you find prayer difficult and you don't understand why it seems to be so pointless. Of course it does. We don't know what we're doing when we pray. We don't cry out, Abba, Father. We don't pray from that, from the very depths like Jesus did. And not because God hasn't revealed Himself to us as Father. He has in the Gospel. It's because we don't see ourselves maybe as desperate and sinful and corrupted and the needy children that we really are. And look, Christians, Christians roll their eyes when you talk like this about us. We don't like this. We don't like to hear again about our condition and and how we're not as well off as we want to be or think we are. And so we just get tired of hearing about it. I want to ask you a question. When, when When you feel inside like you want to roll your eyes at the reality of our condition or hearing about it again and again, I want to ask you, is God wrong about you? 
Are you the one? Are you the exception to the rule? Are you the super apostle? Right? Like Paul talks about in First and Second Corinthians, who doesn't need spoken to like a child? Who doesn't know how to speak for themselves yet? Are you the exception to that? Did God forget about you when He wrote these verses through the hand of Paul? Do we embrace with God the extent of our weaknesses and our need? Because here's how bad it is, right? And this is going, it's trending up. But it's not just the creation that is groaning down here as though it's in labor. It's not just that we that groan. Of course, we do in our spirits for final redemption, for that glorification that the earlier part of chapter 8 was talking about, to be rid of all these chains on us under the sun, right? Even the Holy Spirit is groaning within us in verse 26. That's how bad it is down here. Just like Jesus groaned to come here, the Spirit groans dwelling with us in our weaknesses. We are tough cases. Every single one of us. Every single one of us. I could stand before each one of you and break you down and everything that's wrong with you spiritually and you could do the exact same thing to me. We could, beloved. We are tough cases. We are tough cases. The Spirit is groaning. Here's the wonderful thing about the Spirit. Since He's groaning, He's interceding for us with groanings that cannot be uttered by us. Not only do we not know what we should be praying for in light of how weak and sinful we are, we can't pray as we ought to. It's literally impossible. What we need to utter and form with our mouths, we do not have the ability to utter and form with our mouths. God help us. God help us. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Have mercy on me. I don't even know what to pray for. But know this. God's Holy Spirit knows what to pray for. For you individually, specifically. And He is interceding for you. Making intercession for you as we speak. We have not just a helper or Help, we have the Helper, promised by our Savior, delivered straight to our hearts, who will and is carrying us. God is not embarrassed by our weaknesses. He's not ashamed to be called the God of a weak people that don't even know how to pray. Why? Because He then is strong. What becomes clear when sinners like us get home is that God is a great Savior. That's what everybody is a witness to in Hebrews 11. They're all witnessing to, a cloud of witnesses to what? Themselves? No. To the greatness of a God who leads and guides in a desert like this world. When God sees us in our weakness and our inabilities, He he moves towards us in love for Christ's sake. Beloved, the main thing is this. The main thing is this. What tips the scales as to how much help we receive from God in our weaknesses is not the depth and strength of our prayers, but the objective, promised, certain intercession of the Holy Spirit for us. Do not gauge the depth of your relationship 
with God by what you are able to do, including how well you are able to pray. That is not what is determining whether you are close to God. And this help, this objective promise, certain intercession of the Spirit for us is happening not only when we realize in certain moments that we're too weak to pray. God, I don't even know what to pray. I don't know how to pray here. He's also doing that when we're too strong or think that we're too strong to need it so badly. When we're just coasting, not giving a thought to whether or not our lives and our thoughts and our actions are glorifying to God. The Spirit is interceding with groanings that we couldn't groan with. Verse 27, Now he who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is because he makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God. So this is happening. God, who searches our hearts, searching now, knows us to our core more deeply and more clearly than we even know ourselves, knows then what the Spirit is praying for. For us, we never know for sure if we said it the right way or have the right heart in our prayers that God is listening, right? Or we don't always know, of course, as far as we can understand, we don't know what to say. The Bible tells us, trust me, you don't know what to say. You're not praying as you ought to pray. But the God who searches our hearts and knows us to our core more deeply and more clearly than we know ourselves knows then what the Spirit is praying for. Verse 27 is there to assure us that God hears the intercession of the Spirit from verse 26 and from Him knows what we need because the Spirit makes His intercession according to the will of God. And here's where the text gets really good. The Holy Spirit of God is actively praying the will of God for us. What the Spirit prays for us is that which we actually need because that's what we don't know to pray for. I can know if I'm in pain and I want to pray that that pain would go away. I can understand things like that. I've been sick as a dog on this new medicine I'm on. I hate it, but i got to take it. And, you know, there are moments where I'm, I know exactly what to pray, right? I don't want to feel like this. And we, we, of course, that's not that big of a deal. There are people that are suffering from things and they're crying out from horrible pain, chronic pain, situations that get harder, not easier, the more they pray, right? As Christians, how, what do we do with that? When you're asking God, God, take this away from me, make it stop and it won't stop. Make it go away, and it won't go away. Or it gets worse. God, are you even listening? Do you even care? What the Spirit prays for is what we actually need. And that is a hard truth to accept. Let's be honest. Because often what we think we need and what God knows we need are Worlds apart, not miles. And you know what this text does? It gives you and I the freedom to stop trying to find God's will for our lives and aching until we think we have. God has told you, He's telling you here what His will is for your life. The, the proof is right in front of us. 
one of the reasons why we don't know how to pray for is we all is because we don't like our, our, our nature doesn't love the fact that it's not my will but his that is going to be done right and I'm not I'm not uh, saying that like speaking down to you if that's if, if you aren't there in your own heart between your will and God's own I'm trying to bring it to the reality so we can see it and face it in light of the passage and the comfort it, it means to give to you and I Sometimes when God makes what His will is evident to me, I don't like it. I don't mean that, right? That you're just so immature if you don't like God's will for your life. I don't know that any of us, when it becomes clear that God is leading this way, when we wanted to go that way, just love it and skip on. And so I'm not, I'm not, I'm not saying that. But God has told you and I what His will is for our lives. He's told us. We already live inside the sphere of God's good and perfect will for us. We already are there. The choices we make are not an attempt to get to where God wants us to be. Like His will is over there, out there. And if I make the right choices, I can live my way, behave my way, choose my way into it and leave a much, lead a much better, more blessed, whatever you want to call it, life. <clears throat> the choices we make are not an attempt to be where God wants us. They are the result of the fact that we already are. Where you are may be heavy and awful. And I'm telling you, be at peace. He loves you. In fact, he's also told us that the Holy Spirit prays God's will for us. Because we don't know how to. Right, We don't cry out like, I, I don't either, we, we, we don't cry out like Jesus when we're crying out, not my will but yours be done. We aren't praying that and meaning it like Jesus did. I mean, of course we're not. But I mean, he, whatever that meant, he had embraced it before he said it. Right? In, in the midst of asking for it to go another way. Since he knew the Lord's will, he prayed, nevertheless, not mine, but yours be done. We cry out, I think, from our hearts. We, we wouldn't say it this way. Lord, my will, and please let it be yours also. Or my will, and, and would you please make it yours also. So the Spirit prays God's will for us. But not to our harm, beloved this life is temporary and momentary and we're on one path to the same place. He prays this way, intercedes for us with groanings that only the Holy Spirit can groan for our good. Would we be willing to say, God, help me understand that what you call good and I call good might be two very different things. And the gap between understanding those two is where I live. So help me. Because in that, trying to figure out what you want for me and what your, what your will is doing in my life, like for that, that's very, I don't know what to pray. I don't want to go where it might hurt. I don't want to be where I might suffer. I don't want to stay where I may not want to be. God, help me. Because I can't pray an honest prayer. And you're God. Verse 28, and we know 
We do. We know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to His purpose. Listen, don't shoot that off to somebody laying in bed, writhing in pain in a hospital. Don't shoot it off. It's not a pill. It's not. Look, how do the, I know that, verse 28 says. I know that. It, beloved, we, we, we are called to believe something we can't believe, let alone embrace and love. So the Spirit is doing all the work. That, that's, why, why do I stay in the church? Why do I stay believing? Why do I stay believing, wishing, hoping all these things are true? Because the Spirit is praying for me. That's why I endure. We know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are the called according to His purpose. For whom He foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son, that He might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom He predestined, these He also called. Whom He called, these He also justified. And whom He justified, these He also glorified. That's a strange place to put a couple verses so that we could argue predestination. Because that's not what predestination is about at all. Look at the context for this. No matter what we're trying to figure out to do with the information we have in any given moment, what we know is that God's will for us has much less to do with whether we go left or right every day and has everything to do with conforming us to the image of His Son. That's God's will for my life. That's His purpose for me. He is doing that to me all the time. God who searches our hearts and therefore knows them doesn't take our word for what we need. He takes the word of His Spirit who knows what we need. Whether or not we live in God's will isn't about what we do or what we don't know. It it is about the objective truth of our justification that has made us God's own dear children. And because of which, He is working all things, even the bad choices we make, even evil in this world, together, With His truth, working it all together for our good. I do not mean God approves of evil and sin or causes evil and sin. Not the evil that happens to us or the sins we commit. What I mean is that God is absolutely sovereign over us every moment of every day. He loves us. And because He loves us every moment of our lives even in the midst of futility and the bondage of corruption and the choices we're making, some of which are good, some of which are bad, is in His hand. He is guiding us to walk in His steps that He has laid out for us, beloved. Read Psalm 139. And since He is sovereign over us and His Spirit is in charge, wherever those steps take us in this world, guess where they're taking us? Home. To glory, to glorification, 18 through 25. That is what it means to be God's child in this broken world. You are foreknown, foreloved, predestined, 
called justified and glorified in verse 21. That's where you live. You just can't see any of that. And I can't see any of that. But that's what is true about me and you. He's got you. He's got you. God doesn't come rushing in with his word every once in a while or midlife and shine a light on the next step if we've taken the right one just before it. As though faith is a back doorway to walk by sight. No, his spirit intercedes for us so that we are walking in the steps he's already laid out for us. And his intercession will not fail. So be at peace and live your life. If you're not sinning, if you're not going against precisely what the Bible says you should do, which again, that would mean the law, our lives, right? Like you, you can't go, well, it's, you know, it must be God's will, so I'm going to commit adultery. No. Right? It doesn't work like that. You know that. But beloved, there's no need to live your life in this prison of not knowing whether you should. Do I go to this college or that college? Do What do I do? What do I do? What, what does God want me to do? Walk by faith and not by sight. He is a lamp for your feet and a light for your path. God's will for us is tied to His purpose for us. right? And He is in charge of and working in us to accomplish both. We've been called according to His purpose which we find in verse 29 is not something we have to discover through our own talents and our own careers, etc., etc. God's purpose is the same for each and every single one of His adopted children that we are conformed to the image of His only begotten Son, Jesus Christ. Our individual lives are not the result of an ongoing quest for a thousand different purposes we hope that God will bless. In each one of our unique lives, God is working to bring about the same purpose. And His Spirit in us is interceding for us so that we don't go off the rails. For those who love God in verse 28, even the weakness of our flesh and the suffering we experience in this fight against sin work together for our good since we are called according to His purpose. And the Spirit prays according to God's will for us to achieve, to realize that purpose. All this futility and bondage of corruption, all this groaning that we still experience every day in these mortal bodies is all working together as one big machine for those who are called according to His purpose in verse 28. That being conformed after all of this to the image of Jesus in verse 29. It is for us and for us alone that God is working all things, even evil, for our good. By His Word, we believe and know that God's will has our good for its goal. That's what He's told us. We know what He has told us. God is always at work to see to it that the outcome for His chosen people is good, even if the process that brings them to it is filled with hardship and affliction. In fact, to pray for God's will to be done is to pray for what is good for me to actually come about. Even when I don't understand how that might be the case. Since, of course, I don't know enough to even pray as I ought. And bring the right requests. All this futility and corruption and bondage will work together for those that love God. Even that that is real is God's servant for your good. 
to bring about our good as we're being conformed to his purpose in all of it. We don't even know how to pray as we ought. Why would we think that we're capable of figuring out how to best run our own lives? If we don't know how to pray for we ought, why do we think we have it within us to figure out exactly how to live? How can we know, though, that all these things work together for our good? How can we be certain that we aren't just helpless victims or that whether our lives turn out good is up to us being smart enough to figure it all out? How how can we know all that, beloved? That is what the doctrine of predestination is for. That's what it's for. Not for squabbling over things we can't really fathom, but for our comfort and our assurance as believers. Verse 29, again, for whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, which includes becoming like him in his suffering, beloved, in verse 17. There is no glory without a cross. But just think about the implications here for a second. In whose hands, then, is the accomplishment of God's purpose to conform me to the image of his Son? Who's doing it? Who's responsible for it? Who's praying for that according to God's will perfectly for me? Who's in charge of all that? Does it depend on the choices I make and the concentrated effort of my will and my flesh ultimately? Beloved, God predestined us to this. To be conformed to the image of His Son. He predestined us for the accomplishment of His purpose, which is why His Spirit intercedes for us according to God's will to do that to me. To make me like this. I cannot make myself conform to the image of Christ. God predestined us to this. We we won't always know which way to go to stay on that path. But thank God it isn't ultimately dependent on us. For whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. We all walk Jesus' path to glory. Moreover, whom he predestined, he also called. Whom he called, these he also justified. And whom he justified, these he also glorified. Which is why we in all creation groan so much for it. Glorification in verses 18 to 25. God has decreed that it shall be. And like the creation, our weary hearts know, just as verse 28 says, and with the broken creation, we are longing for God to wrap this up. God has seen us in our need and felt for us, if you will, taken us into His thoughts and His confidence. He knows us and has already loved us. You know you now. God knew you before you. All the work of salvation is God's work from beginning to end. That's what this verse means. Our walk through this life in faith is God carrying out His will on us to conform us to the image of Jesus. We aren't holding the reins of our lives here, beloved. We are not holding the reins of our lives. And walking with Jesus is not bringing God in so that we can run the reins of our lives. 
It's to let go and have God hold the reins of our lives. There's meant to be great comfort for you and I in these things. God is not for you so that these 70, 80, 90, however many years we're given, end up working out. He's here to get you where He called you to be because He loves you from before you were born. We can only receive the gift of salvation or refuse to do so. That's it. The Scripture's teaching on predestination has been stripped of all its intended meaning, I think, because this incessant need we have, that I used to have and preach from, to improve upon what God has written with our man-made systematic categories. That's just hilarious, right? It would be great if I write a love letter to my wife and all these other people that get it and decide this is what he meant. These are his priorities. These are the acceptable categories in which to work and understand all this. The doctrine of predestination has been twisted by Satan to steal our assurance. When God gave it to comfort all who received Jesus Christ with his rock-solid, sovereign word of promise. So we walk by faith in that. Not sight. We don't follow him because we figure everything out. We follow him because he's made a promise and he is good. Our lives we're directed to walk in those steps before we were born. Therefore, we don't know what to pray for as we ought. We don't have that perspective. But the Spirit of God does. And we may feel in our daily experience of the futility and the bondage of corruption that we're not loved by God. That's when and why you don't know how to pray because it doesn't make sense. And yet the Spirit inside of us, therefore, groans and intercedes for us to keep us in the faith. God says our whole lives are the result of His love. This is the crescendo, by the way, of the argument for justification by faith alone apart from our works. Stand still and know that He is God. Stand still and consider just everything it means to be justified by grace through faith apart from our own works. It means all this. It means He has you. He has you. We find our help and our rest in the fact that every moment of our lives, when we can't see the way, when we can't figure everything out, when we continue to be assaulted by corruption and the desires of the old man in these mortal bodies, to give in to them, The Holy Spirit is interceding for us according to the will of God because we were foreknown by God, because we were loved and predestined and called and justified and glorified in God's reckoning before we were even born. Don't let your mind go beyond what the text says. Just take it and believe it. God is so invested in us, these verses tell us, That He would never let us go. No, our lives don't make sense. But that's not because they're meaningless or pointless or because we are wrong in everything we choose. It's because we can't see what God sees. So, God is telling us in His Word what is true. This is what is true, He says. 
This is who you are. This is what's happening behind the scenes of your life that you can't see. I am what is, he says. My purpose is what is. You receive me. You trust in me. The Spirit is praying for. I know what you need. Eyes on me. The Bible just keeps telling us that in a million different ways. Eyes on him. He will lead you home. Surely goodness and mercy are pursuing us like a relentless lion every single day of our crazy lives. Because we need chased home. We need pursued so that we get where God wants us to be. And what is he pursuing us with? A whip? No. His son took the whip. You and I get the goodness and the mercy. Every day. Because our address is not of this world. You won't find his house in that sense here on the earth. God made that our address before we even existed. It is for your comfort. It is not there for you and I to fathom things we can't know and don't understand. So when you read that God loved you before you were born, just believe it and let it stand. In the meantime, until that day, you and I sit at a table set before us in the very presence of our enemies. Because he's poured the oil of his gracious anointing over our heads. Because I am his and he is mine. I don't need to look inside to have hope or feel confidence and faith or to know whether I'm loved. I look to the word that is true outside of me, that is always there speaking to me outside of me. No matter where I am, no matter what is going on, I'm loved, right? I'm justified. You see this, right? It doesn't mean God is okay when we're sinning, like, but it has been reconciled to God. I may suffer horrible consequences due to the choices I make. What the Bible is saying is that even those, they won't separate you from his love. That's where Romans 8 is going. I look to the promise that was made about my life and where I would end up before I was even conceived in my mother's womb. You are not alone. You are not forgotten, dear child of God. You are not forgotten. You are safe. You are safe. And no one can snatch you from his hand. This road we travel is straight and narrow, and the cliffs on either side are sheer and steep. But we are not in charge of our steps. He is holding us in the midst of futility and corruption and bondage without and within. All this for eternity and help for the day. This is Christ for you.